You know, Walker, there have been 12 people to land on the moon. You keep check talking your mouth, you're going to be number 13. I'm just kidding. Welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend, and I do mean that. For legal purposes, what he said was a joke. For legal purposes, <laughs> that was a joke. But in all seriousness, I do love you, Walker. And, sure, uh, sure. Well, feed my maybe. sheep. What? Feed my sheep. <laughs> anyway, uh, we all know I, I, I wouldn't be able to get Walker to the moon anyways. But anyway, thank you for being here, Walker. You know I love you. This, op- this episode is already off to a great start, isn't it, y'all? Yeah, great. Joining us today is Simon Tyson, his fellow astronaut. Well, uh, number 14. <laughs> Walker's first and Simon's second. Uh, I'm just kidding. These are two of some of my best friends, and I'm very thankful to have them both on the show, especially Simon, who's doing us a huge favor here by filling in on basically no notice. Um, so we, we kind of sprung this on him last minute, and thankfully he was ready and available to help us out to talk about this part in season five where we talk about common Bible misconceptions. But before we get into today's subject, we're going to give Simon a chance to reintroduce himself. He's been on an episode here before, actually in season five earlier, but we wanted to give him a chance to reintroduce himself. So take it away, Simon. Well, I appreciate it, Isaiah. Well, I'm a student here at Freed Harmon University. Got to meet Isaiah and Walker quite a bit ago, get to learn from both of them, get their knowledge on the scriptures. And I, I preach here and there. I don't have a place I'm grounded in, but I like to travel around, preach where I can when people need me. I uh, get to participate in a lot of things like preaching club here at school and, and just work on things like this. You got the podcast, you got the chance to meet fellow preachers. It's it's been a it's been a great ride here. I've been here about almost a year and a half now and finishing up school to be a preacher, you know. Good stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And Simon, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh we love you and we uh, we appreciate you. Even if I did make a joke about kicking you to the moon. Yeah, it's an honor. I would love to go to the moon for you. <laughs> anyway. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> so Simon here very, uh, very graciously agreed to help us talk about the sinner's prayer as a part of what we've been talking about in season five. Nice. This, sorry? This is, is this five or not? This is, this is season five, oh, Walker. Five. five, yes. <laughs> Stay tuned for season nine, folks. But this is part of season five where we've been talking about common Bible misconceptions, things that people think about the Bible or things that people have heard about the Bible, and maybe they're true, maybe they're not. And so what what we're talking about today is the sinner's prayer. But before we can get into the issue of, you know, is it in the scriptures? Where is that found in the scriptures? What does that really mean? Is that true? What is the sinner's prayer first and foremost? That's that's the question that we have to ask. And so if we're going to talk about the sinner's prayer, we have to figure out what in the world the sinner's prayer is. Well, uh, the sinner's prayer is a um, denominational teaching, something that's common um, within uh, a lot of different denominations, whether Baptist, Methodist, um, I don't know what all denominations actually practice it, um, but it's, it's widely accepted. And, um, and so it, basically the, the philosophy behind it is that if you say a certain prayer, then you're uh, automatically saved or you're forgiven of your sins and it's this magical prayer that works wonders um and so um it's it's basically this teaching that's been um that's been spread uh for a very long time stating that if you uh accept jesus into your heart through this prayer then you're ultimately going to be saved and nothing else has to be done uh to be saved yeah that's a great explanation of it walker we, we found a, a pretty simple version of it i think this was actually from wikipedia 
Uh, and so, very you credible. know, very, very credible source. That's where I get all my sources. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Believe everything you read on Wikipedia. If you yeah. remember nothing else right. from this episode. Yeah. And this is where we get canceled. This, this is absolutely <laughs> where we get taken off the air. But anyway, so we found a pretty simple version of it. And, you know, there, there are different ways that you can phrase this. But a good way of, I, I, I like the way that Wikipedia uh, phrases it here. And again, this is just one example of how the sinner's prayer could be phrased. Uh, but it says, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. And that statement, again, I, I like the way that it's phrased. And I think offering up a prayer like that, that is something that Christians should do, right? We should recognize our own sinfulness, recognize the fact that even though Jesus was perfect, he died for me. He took my place, that he rose again. He offered us a new life. We should want to turn from our sins and to follow him. I, I think this is a great attitude to have. It's a genuine and sincere prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we don't want to, you know, uh, comment on the on the, the hearts of anyone who has said the sinner's prayer in this episode. We don't want to comment on anyone who has taught the sinner's prayer. That's not the goal. Our goal is just to look at the scriptures. And so this, 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 you know, the sinner's prayer, like Walker said, it's been around for a while. I mean, even going back to about the time of Martin Luther in the, in the, the Reformation, uh, and even a little bit before him. Uh, but it was really, really made popular in the States uh, during, the, the, uh, during the lifetime of Billy Graham. Billy Graham really made it popular. And uh, it's, it's kind of died off a little bit uh, since he passed away. But Billy Graham really emphasized the sinner's prayer. And again, we're not trying to come after Billy Graham or come after any other teacher or anyone else in your life that has taught you the sinner's prayer. Uh, you know, but, and, and, and we, we just kind of want to see what the scriptures say about it. Right? We don't, we don't want to look at what denomination teachers say or, or what Church of Christ teachers say or anybody. We just want to let the Bible speak for itself. Yeah. And so uh, I think the best way to do that is just to kind of look at some verses real quick. Look at the Bible. Well, yeah, yeah. look at the Bible. <laughs> that, that may be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to look at some scriptures that have been offered up as uh, as explanations, as, as reasons to why the sinner's prayer works and to why it offers up salvation. And the first one that uh, really comes to mind is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Walker, you already got that open? I do. Go ahead and read that for us, my friend. Uh, well, I'm going to start at, start up at verse eight because verse nine begins in the middle of the sentence. So, uh, but what, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Thank you, Walker. So Romans chapter 10 is a really crucial passage for uh, what we call the plan of salvation. And we've done a couple different episodes on this. So after this, after this episode, go ahead and check those episodes out uh, and get, get a little bit more supplementary material on the subject. But we look at Romans chapter 10 for the plan of salvation. And we think about, you know, uh, hearing comes by or faith comes by hearing, right? You have to hear the word. Uh, we also talk about confession here in the passage that Walker read for us. In verses nine and ten, and so the the uh, the argument is made for the sinner's prayer here from this this passage. It says, uh, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that He raised from the dead, you'll be saved. With the mouth one confesses and is saved." 
seems, you know, makes sense so far. Uh, another passage that they like to reference, when I say they, I, I mean people who, who teach uh, the sinner's prayer, is Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, and I have that open. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we can look at that passage uh, for you know the deeper context of it's Acts chapter 2, right? That's the first gospel sermon. Uh, Peter and the other apostles are preaching in Jerusalem. And this is something that Peter says. It's a, a reference actually to something I believe the prophet Joel said in Joel chapter 2. And so Peter says, it shall come to pass that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, and so the argument is made that the sinner's prayer is someone calling upon the name of the Lord. And I think based upon the uh, the reading that we had from our very credible Wikipedia source, <laughs> then that makes sense, right? Uh, there's another one. There's a couple more, actually, that we want to look at. The first one is, is Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. Simon, would you go ahead and read that for us, my friend? Absolutely. It says, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yeah. And so, uh, Simon, I, I, I presume that you know what's going on in, in this text, but just for our, our viewers at home, uh, for the context here at this passage, Jesus is telling the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And these two men are, are at the temple praying. And the, the Pharisee goes first. And of course, if you know a whole lot about Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees, you can pretty much sum it up in two words, not good. <laughs> and so Jesus uses this, uh, this, this Pharisee here and, and really kind of stereotypes the Pharisees. And obviously not all Pharisees were like this, but a lot of Pharisees were uh, self-righteous, I think is a good way of saying it. And so this Pharisee, he's praying, he's talking to God, like, I am so thankful that I'm better than everyone else around me. I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm better than this tax collector who's next to me. Of course, the tax collectors were not too fond, uh, not too fondly thought of. You know, we, we don't like the IRS. We, we would hate it even more if the IRS stole even more money from us than they are supposed to. Right? So, do that. Well, we're not going to get into that. But, <laughs> you know, the point is that tax collectors were not well thought of. And this tax collector, he stands off and he, he won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he just prays to God. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? a sinner's prayer. The last one that, that we want to look at today is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which is actually one of my favorite verses personally. I love 1 John chapter 1 and really just the book of 1 John. It's a book that as much as I love, I, I know nothing about, I feel like, because every time I look at it, I learn something new. But anyway, uh, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there's that idea again, like Paul said in Romans chapter 10 of confession. And so the, the arguments are made here about confession, about calling on the name of the Lord, about offering up the sinner's prayer. And if we just look at those verses by themselves, it makes a pretty compelling argument, doesn't it? Yeah. But what's the problem here, gentlemen? Context, context, context. Absolutely. In the words of Kevin Moore. <laughs> Absolutely. Isolation of the verses removes so many important pieces of Scripture that we got to look at as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I remember one time I, I, I was doing a Bible study with a friend of mine in a, in a public library. And uh, to help illustrate the point that, that Simon and Walker just made, I went off and I grabbed a random book off the shelf. And I opened it to a random page and I scrolled down to a random paragraph and read a random sentence. Mm -hmm. It was something about like Tom went to the store to get groceries. Who the heck is Tom? I don't know. <laughs> it was a random book, you know. <laughs> 
but but mm. the point here is that you know we wouldn't do that to any other book in existence mm. if we truly want to understand what's happening in you know the hunger games or harry potter or or any other book like that we're not going to open it up to a random page read a random paragraph and, and assume that we know everything that's been going on because we don't there are characters at play there are you know events at play there you know especially in the new testament there's other teachings that inter that interact with these verses right so you you can't just take one verse out of context right and so when we when we reference scripture we have to make sure that if we reference just a single verse that we are referencing it correctly and we're not ripping it out of its context because you can make the bible say whatever you want to say mm -hmm. i i heard a i heard a teacher one time look at the passage in john 11 where jesus told lazarus to come out and he interpreted that as Jesus telling Lazarus, it's okay to be gay. And uh, that is not what's happening in that passage, right? Lazarus had died, literally died, and Jesus was telling him to come out of the tomb. That wasn't a reference to sexuality at all. There wasn't anything, that, that that's not the focus of that text. That's when they're coming by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the point is, you know, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you remove its context. Well, when you think about Bible is our tool for salvation as well, which is what the sinner's prayer is aiming to do is, is save us. Mm -hmm. It's like an instruction manual, another kind of book. You wouldn't go to Ikea and get an instruction manual for a bookshelf and skip steps two through seven. You can't you can't do that. You got to look at all the steps to yeah. make sure you're doing it right, or else you're not going to have a bookshelf. You're going to have a weird mashup of wood. That ain't going to work. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy, Simon. I, I've heard it also being compared to a jigsaw puzzle, yeah. right? You, you're supposed to be able to put the pieces together. And if you drop a piece and it falls under the table or you know it falls into somebody's pocket or you, you break a piece and you don't have it anymore, the puzzle's not gonna be complete, right? And so when we're piecing together the scriptures and when we're looking at you know systematic theology and how one passage interacts with another passage and, and you know when, it, when they seem to contradict, what do they really mean? That kind of thing. We have to make sure that, like Simon said, we're taking things in context. We're not ripping things out of context and that we're reading passages through. And, and I also wanna say that this is very difficult for those who may be listening to this and are not very familiar with the scriptures and not knowing where uh, the context lies and not knowing where the context begins. And so uh, this may seem very overwhelming in the sense of like, you know, this is something that you've been taught. This is something that you've grown up learning. This is something that the um, that the preacher or the minister has taught and, and you trust them to teach the word accurately and you trust them to teach the word in a way that is pleasing to God and considers the context. And so this may be hard to hear for some um, who's grown up, you know, listening to this their entire life, that the sinner's prayer works, that it's that it's something that um, is actually able to save us. And so we and so we know this may prompt questions. So I just want to go ahead and plug this in here early. Send us your questions if we don't answer it in this episode, because this is uh, definitely a difficult subject to hear. Um, really, any controversial subject is difficult to hear, especially if it's something that you truly believe. And uh, I know that we're rooted in our beliefs and we're rooted in what we believe in. And so um, it very well may be that maybe we have something wrong. And so we're open to uh, consideration for other ideas, other opinions, other viewpoints. Um, and so we don't want you to think that we're forcing this idea upon you that, you know, our way or the highway mm -hmm. sort of deal, because, of course, um, there, there's other there's other ways of interpretation. There's other ways of looking at scripture. Um, but we are presenting to you our point of view of how 
um, we believe the scripture is trying to teach us. Yeah. And, and you know, just kind of add on to that. Like we said earlier, we're not trying to attack any teacher or attack right. any teaching of mm -hmm. someone. Because like Walker said earlier, there's a lot of genuine people out here who believe in the sinner's prayer. Yeah. And while Walker, Simon, and I and a lot of our colleagues disagree with that teaching, we're not trying to say that those are bad people or that mm -hmm. they're, you know, intentionally leading people away from the gospel. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case at all. No. Um, but, you know, kind of on the flip side of that, we're not trying to attack uh, teachers, but we're also not trying to uplift ourselves as teachers. What, we're, what we want to do is just present the scriptures and let the scriptures speak for themselves. Yeah. And we want, we're not asking you to pick us or your preacher. We're not asking us to, or asking the audience to pick us or your, your, you know, favorite evangelist. We're asking you to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and to examine the scriptures daily. To, with an open mind. Yeah, though. with an open mind. Yeah to see what is true mm -hmm. that our, our goal is to just present the scriptures. And then our hope is that you will look at these scriptures and, and make sure that what we are saying is right. And that what you are doing is right. So, so I think the best way to go back and, uh, you know, maybe elaborate on our point about why we don't believe the sinner's prayer uh, works is to go back and look at the passages that we referenced earlier and sort of like maybe establish the context and sort of figure out what scripture is trying to teach us from these passages. And so maybe just work our way back through the list and sort of really um, reset the, the, what the passage is trying to convey to us. And so going back to Romans chapter 10, um, the book of Romans is a beautiful book, and it's one that talks about sanctification, justification, uh, the fact that we're saved by grace through faith, uh, Romans 6, uh, that we're uh, that sin is ultimately something that leads us to death. Um, and if we continue to live in sin, we're going to be condemned for that. And so Paul makes this abundantly clear that sin is a is a struggle that we face with in our life and that it's it, it's a constant um, thing that we have to deal with on a day to day basis. And he even talks about that in Romans 7 and how he struggles with himself um, to deal with the sin. He strives to do right, but. Um, oftentimes he ends up falling short. And as we progress from Romans 7 uh, into uh, Romans 8, Romans 9, and even getting up to Romans 10, Paul is sort of maybe giving us a little bit of um, encouragement, a little bit of um, uh, hope in a way uh, to help us um, realize that our faith is um, is essential to us navigating through our sin. Our faith is essential to helping us get through the difficult times. Romans 8 and verse 28 is a great example of that. Um, and so as we get to um, chapter 10, Paul is now addressing this idea that faith is essential to our salvation. And he's saying that um, we need to have faith in order to be saved. And so uh, faith is a key component. And he'll say in verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we know that God's word is the ultimate truth. We know that it's the ultimate authority. We know that it's the place where we gather um, the, the stuff that we believe from regarding scripture, at least I hope. And so if we accept that and if we admit that as something that is true and, um, and we believe that God's word is the inspired source of truth, then we know that um, faith ultimately comes from this. And Paul here in the context of this passage is telling us that, um, you know, we have to have a faith that is strong enough where we're willing to tell others about Jesus um, and that we are willing to tell others that um, he is our savior, that he uh, that he's done um, great things for us and we we're able to confess our belief to others and not be ashamed of our belief. Maybe time back into Romans chapter one and verse 16, where he talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for I know it is the power uh, of Christ within me. 
yeah. but that's my rant. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point, Walker. <laughs> and, you know, kind of to, to tie into that, the, this idea of faith, right? Faith is something that we as Christians have. And we know that Paul is writing to Christians because yeah. of his opening statement there in the beginning of Romans chapter 1. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who already have been saved. Well, how they've been saved? Well, you know, if we look just here at these this isolated passage and, and remove it from all the other things that Paul has already written or the things that Paul is going to say later in this book, well, we, we would think that these people had been saved by confession. Well, hang on. It says you will be saved. These people are people who have already been saved. These people are already Christians. And the big point that Paul is making here is that there's really no difference between Jew and Gentile Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 10 and verse 12 talks about that. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. That was a big, big problem in the first century church because those two cultures did not mesh very well. And so the, the church was having to learn how to adapt to this idea that, oh, we can not only coexist, with this other culture, but we can actually work together with this other culture. And so this idea of, of faith, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to Christians who are having a problem, not just a problem, having several problems, having problems with sin, having problems with racism, having problems with change, all of these things. And he says, you will be saved. Well, hang on, they've, they've already been saved. So were, were they saved because they confessed? Were they saved because they called on the name of the Lord, like we read in Acts chapter 2, like we read in here in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13? What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? And that gets into a passage that we'll, we'll look at more here in a little bit. But Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, we're told what calling on the name of the Lord means, and it does not mean saying the sinner's prayer. It's referring to baptism. And, of course, we'll look at that here more later but we have to, if we're going to look at Romans chapter 10, we have to look at Romans chapters 1 through 9. We have to look at places like Romans chapter 6, another place that we're going to spend some time uh, here in a few minutes. Simon, do you have any thoughts to add to what we've said? I've just been listening to y'all. learning. <laughs> uh, we've kind of already touched on this as well, Simon, but uh, do you want to go ahead and kind of look at a deeper view of Acts chapter 2, specifically there in verse 21 where it says, Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Um, yeah, sure. So obviously, I mean, this is very early on in the church's history, and you've got uh, people there who are learning for the first time what to do in, in this situation. And you've got uh, various passages here of, of preaching, and Peter's here with the, the sermon uh, at Pentecost, and he goes through and he says that you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Um, and that's, that's a pretty big deal, but he's showing that this comes with baptism, uh, that this is God's plan. He shows them all these different things throughout their history, and what we see in the Old Testament, we see uh, him referencing uh, the, the things God has done uh, through Jesus, but even back to David when he says uh, in verse 25 uh, about the Lord always before him. So this has been something going on for a while, uh, but... We, we see all of that in the fact that God has that plan. He shows that to us in various passages of, of calling upon that, uh, his name uh, to take on that plan, to take on the, the role of uh, baptism in our lives that he has. Um, I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for. No, I, that was that was great. Uh, that was great. You know, I, I really appreciated it. Beautifully the, said for yeah. it being thrown on you like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys should have seen the, the look Simon gave me when I, when I gave that to him with no warning like a deer about to get hit by a truck. <laughs> I, I, I'm just teasing. I love you, Simon. But anyway, no, that was like Walker said, that was, that was very well said. 
I really uh, appreciated your emphasis that you put on the plan. Right, the baptism had been God's plan since the very beginning. Right? And, and we'll look more at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where Peter actually brings up baptism again here in a few moments. But uh, we also have Luke chapter 18, which doesn't mention calling upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't mention confession. It's a parable that Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and like we mentioned before, the Pharisee and the tax collector, that's a parable that Jesus tells about the Pharisee's self-righteousness and the apparent sinfulness of the tax collector. And yet how the, the tax collector was more righteous and, and, was, and left the temple justified rather than the, the, the Pharisee because the Pharisee's prayer was not about God. The Pharisee's prayer was about him, was about lifting himself up. The tax collector recognized his sinful state. He wasn't asking for salvation. He was asking for mercy, right, to escape uh, to, or to, you know, to be relieved of his, of his sins, which I guess in a way you could say is salvation. But the, the point here is not how does one become saved. The point here is not is the sinner's prayer, you know, ne necessary for salvation. The point that Jesus is making here is about a different kind of prayer. It's about a self-righteous prayer, a self-righteous attitude of arrogance, uh, lacking humility that the Pharisees were oftentimes guilty of in Jesus's day and age. And if we're not careful, we can make the same mistake. And so I think it's a, a mistake to not only have that same attitude that the Pharisees have, but I think it's a mistake to try and make this passage talk about something that it's not trying to talk about. It's not trying to talk about salvation, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a parable about the self-righteous Pharisee and the humility of a tax collector. And it was told because these Pharisees, they, they, were, they were wicked, they were self-righteous, they, they were binding all of these laws and com commandments on the people of Israel that they weren't even following themselves. And so Jesus is trying to point out to them, you're not all you're cracked up to be. You think you're a lot better than you are. The point of this passage is not about salvation. The point of this passage is about you as a Pharisee need to get your life together. Maybe I'm the Pharisee. Maybe I'm the one who needs to get my life together. But it's not talking about salvation. And then the last verse that we had we had referenced is John chapter 1 and verse 9, talking about confessing our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, we have to ask the question, who is being addressed here? Who, who is the Apostle John writing to? Well, if we read throughout the book, we can tell pretty easily he's writing to Christians, right? We see up in verse 4, or excuse me, verse 3, uh, John, the Apostle, talks about having uh, fellowship with his audience by proclaiming the gospel to them so that their fellowship is with Jesus Christ, right? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already had their sins washed away. And it's interesting here when we when we look a few verses up, uh, John talks about how, you know, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, while we're not practicing the things that Jesus told us to practice, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to have fellowship with one another, right, as Christians, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. So it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. It's not prayer. It's not giving it's not anything else it's the blood of jesus anyone who tells you anything else is wrong and I, I i'm sorry to be as blunt as i am with that but it's true 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from our sins. Nothing but the blood. And so many of these passages, you see that repeated theme of, you know, you've been saved, but you got to remember, you're not all that. You've been saved, sure, but you can walk away. And this is about getting right with him again. Yeah. This is about that attitude of it's it's not about me, it's about God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, if we keep reading through the beginning of 1 John chapter 1 here, or the end of 1 John chapter 1 here, John says, two Christians, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth but not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. John's reminded them, you still need grace. You still need forgiveness. But he's also going to say in the beginning of chapter 2, that if we still sin, because we're going to, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, whose blood washes us of our sins. He is our propiti propitiation, not just for us, but for the entire world. He died for the entire world. We as Christians are just the ones who have been washed in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, we, we've looked at some of the verses that those teaching the sinner's prayer have have looked at and believed that it teaches the sinner's prayer and and we we've made our case for why uh, we we don't believe that's what the scriptures are saying but again what we really want to do is just present the scriptures and let you guys evaluate uh, what the scriptures have to say and 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 you know read it for yourself and and don't take anybody else's word for it obviously people like us are here to help you that's our goal you know, you have to be able to to look at it on your own and 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 figure out what the Bible is saying. And in, in the context of both its passage and the entire Bible as a whole. But something interesting about this idea of, of the sinner's prayer in the Bible is that it's not there. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. We we never find that anywhere in Scripture. We have these these verses like the ones we've looked at in, in Romans and Acts and Luke and First John that talk or that people will, will use when they're talking about the sinner's prayer. But the sinner's prayer is never actually mentioned in the scriptures. Rather, the scriptures go completely against the sinner's prayer in a way. Like yeah. it, it completely it completely dismisses the idea that a prayer can save you. Um, it, it rather states that there has to be further action that has to be taken in order for you to be saved or in order for you to come to obedience. And so, um, and right. so we're going to examine some of those passages um, in which uh, a, a lot of people are maybe afraid to talk about in the denominational world because it maybe contradicts what they, what they've been teaching regarding the sinner's prayer, and so um, and so. Yeah, but just to kind of jump on that point, Walker, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, I, I say that I totally meant to cut you off because I wanted to say this, but. <laughs> the, You're the, still good. <laughs> I love you. I still forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. I need it. <laughs> especially after threatening to boot you to the moon earlier. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this idea of a prayer can't save us, you know, that, that words are not enough. I think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said many, you know, on that day, many will say, you know, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? You know, uh, I think he, he, that there's a reference to that in Luke chapter six as well, right? Many, many will call me Lord, Lord, they've not done what I say. Right. I can sit here and say all that I want that I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You do? I, I can. Oh. I, I can sit here and say that I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex. But my words mean nothing unless I actually, you know, grow a tail and scales and massive teeth and tiny little arms and start chasing around Simon like he's my next meal. It, it means <laughs> my words, 
my words mean nothing unless I back them up with my actions, right? I can say whatever I want to say, but it means nothing unless I back it up with my actions. I'm not trying to say that words aren't important. We've done a lot of episodes and we have a lot of episodes coming out talking about how important our words can be. But words alone can't save us. Words alone are not enough to wash away our sins. Like we said earlier, like we read earlier, more importantly, it's only the blood of Christ. Only the blood of Christ can wash us away of our sins. And that uh, is, is interacted, we, we interact with that when we're baptized. Mm-hmm. We, we, come into, we come into contact with the blood of Christ when we're baptized. Yeah, whenever Jesus issued the Great Commission in Matthew 28, um, and he tells the disciples to go out and to teach the gospel to all nations, he tells them the method in which um, you'll know that they've been taught. If they've been taught correctly and if, they've, uh, and if they're ready to obey the gospel, then you'll baptize them uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and you'll teach them to observe everything that um, he, he, being Jesus, has commanded them. And Jesus even assures them that he'll be with them always, even until the end of the age. And we see the same idea portrayed in Mark 16, 15 through 16, that, um, that you know, uh, we, well, the verse totally just left my mind. And like, you know, I, never mind. Would you like to read Mark 16, 15 through 16? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let, me, let me pull it up real quick. That's what happens when you're almost at finals week, folks. Right. For real. The verses that you should have memorized, I guess, in a way for a Bible major, totally slip you. <laughs> Failed that test. Uh, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. There it is. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So that's, again, that's what I was trying to say. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> it's okay. Like, like Simon said, this is what finals week does to us. Um, give us grace, folks. We're, we're just three college students trying to read the Bible. And some of us still struggle just to read anything. Me. Um, anyway. He's still learning English. I, it's, I would say it's my second language, but I can't speak anything else. Anyway. His first language is gibberish. Yeah, probably. So we, ha- we have here Jesus saying, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, right? Believes and baptized. The two are put together. You can't have one without the other. It's conditional. It's conditional, right? It's like, a, it's, it's like a, if I said, you know, if, it's like if I asked you know, someone at a restaurant to make me a ham and cheese sandwich, right? If they just gave me a ham sandwich or just gave me a cheese sandwich, is that what I asked for? Is that what I, as the person in, the author- in authority, as the customer said to, to get? No. All right. And so the people will make the argument, well, Jesus doesn't say whoever does not believe and baptize would be condemned. So obviously belief enough is fine. The two are, are put together. You can't separate them. It's believes and is baptized. It's not believes or is baptized. It's believed and. You have to have both. And so just because he doesn't mention it again at the end of this verse in verse 16 doesn't mean that baptism isn't essential, right? And we we have several other passages in the New Testament that make it very, very clear that baptism is what saves us, that baptism is what washes away our sins, right? Simon talked about Acts chapter 2 earlier, and he talked about calling on the name of the Lord and, and Peter doesn't end there by just saying, call on the name of the Lord, say the sinner's prayer, and you're good. He keeps going. And he, he talks about how, uh, like Simon mentioned, David referenced his Lord. David wasn't talking about himself, right? So who was David talking about? He was talking about Jesus, who 
was crucified, who the people there at Pentecost, they themselves had crucified him. 50 days earlier, they were the ones shouting, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Peter says, the one that David's talking about, the one that Joel's talking about, Jesus, that's God's son, and you killed him. And that cuts into the, the hearts of the men and women there at Pentecost. And they feel guilty because they've killed God's son. They killed the Messiah. And so they're like, is there anything that we can do to remedy this? Acts, Acts verse uh, 37 in chapter 2, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What, what can we do to... to escape the fact that we just killed God's son. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've already referenced Acts chapter 22 as well, uh, and here Paul is retelling his conversion story, and he remembers Ananias telling him, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on whose name? Calling on the name of Jesus. Calling on the name of Jesus, being washed in the waters of baptism that represent his blood. That's the only way that we can be saved. I think a great passage to, to look at this is Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we have on the script down verse 4, but I think we actually want to, we probably want to spend a little bit more time there, maybe even down to verse seven. Simon, if you wouldn't mind, would you go ahead and read for us Romans chapter six, verses one through seven, if you don't mind? Absolutely. All right. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in by baptism into death, nor that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we are no longer to be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Thank you, Simon. And so Paul here, he's continuing his, the discussion that he had at the end of chapter 5, where he's talking about how, uh, you know, sin came into the world through Adam, but Jesus brings reconciliation. Jesus brings justification. Jesus brings life. Jesus brings grace. And Paul assumes that the reader might have the question of, well, if Jesus gives us grace of our sins and forgives us of our sins, then should we sin more to get more grace? And Paul's like, no, don't do that. That's that's the wrong idea, right? He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means, right? He says that we as Christians have died to sin, right? Uh, when, when I think of this passage, I think of, you know, those old dramatic movies where, you know, there's, there's a, a boyfriend and a girlfriend and one of them does something stupid and the other one tells them, you're dead to me right? It's like they don't even exist anymore. That's, that's how uh, we as Christians should, should treat our, our sins, the sinful lifestyle that we, that we lived before Christ. It's dead to us. It doesn't exist anymore. We're acting like it never did. 
because we're a new person. Right? Verse four talks about being raised to walk in newness of life. We are raised to be a new person. And Paul says, we have been baptized into his death. Right? When we're baptized, it is supposed to be a, a direct representation of what Jesus went through on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, that's us dying to our sins. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, that's us being buried in the waters of baptism. When Jesus rose again after three days in the tomb, that's us being raised to walk in newness of life. Paul says we have been united in a death like his, and we will be reunited in a resurrection like his. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised on the cross, in the tomb, and to new life. That's how we should be as Christians. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He says we have to be buried with Jesus in, into baptism in order to have our sins washed away. The blood of Jesus is represented in the waters of baptism. It is a direct representation. It is an exact picture of what Jesus went through for us. Amen. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. And so when we look at all these passages that, that talk about baptism, and there's several more that we could reference. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes a really similar argument to what he makes here in Romans chapter 6. Uh, we could reference the passage in Peter. I believe it's First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where he literally says, baptism, which now saves us. Uh, that's a, a pretty strong argument, in my opinion, of, uh, of what the Bible is trying to say there about baptism. Let me let me pull up that passage just to act, so I can actually read it and not reference it so you guys at home can can read or can hear the scripture and not just hear me talk about it. Peter writes, baptism, which corresponds to this, talking about what he'd been talking about previously, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Peter's saying baptism, right, it reflects, uh, it's a, another representation of what God did for Noah when he saved Noah and his family on the ark. Kind of, he kind of, you know, does a little bit of a play on words there, right? All the water there in the flood, that killed people, but now water saves people. But it's not the water, right? There's nothing special about the water. All the water does is make us a little bit cleaner. No, it's the conscience. When we're baptized, that's us saying, God, I know that I've sinned, but that you have a way to forgive me and that you provided the way for me to have forgiveness so that I can be with you for heaven, in heaven for all eternity, because you love me that much, God. It's not about me. It's about what you did for me, God. And so when we talk about baptism and we read all these passages like the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, like uh, what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, what Ananias told Paul in Acts chapter 22, and, uh, and we can look at Galatians and, and first in you know, Galatians 3.27, talking about baptism, how we have put on Christ. First Peter 3.21, talking about how baptism saves us. Colossians chapter 2, again, a very similar passage to Romans chapter 6, talking about how we have been buried with Christ just like he was buried. We rose again just like Jesus rose again to walk in that newness of life. Once we have his blood, once we have been washed of our sins, then we can have that continual cleansing that John talks about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that we read earlier. It's only after we have access to it, after we have access to the blood, 
that we can have that continual cleansing. Now, is that from baptism itself? No. We, we see in Acts chapter 8, a man named Simon the Sorcerer. Not Simon here, uh, good buddy Simon, but a different Simon. Uh, a man living in the region of Samaria who uh, had been an a, a entertainer, a magician of sorts, a trickster, if you will, you know, making money off of people believing that he could do really amazing things. And uh, he hears the gospel from, from Peter and John and from Philip the evangelist. He's like, I need to be a Christian. And then he sees some of the things that the early apostles were able to do through the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, whoa, I could, I could, if I had the powers of the Holy Spirit, I could do those things. And people would pay me even more than what they paid me before because now they're real, right? The things that I used to do, they weren't real, but now they're real. And he tries to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter and Peter looks at him and is like, that's not how this works, buddy. And I, I referenced that passage for a couple of reasons. Number one, we again see that Simon was baptized and that a ton of people in Samaria were baptized. But we also see that, uh, you know, Simon, who was a Christian already, he was not told to uh, to be rebaptized, if you will, you know, because of his sins. He was told that he needed to repent. If we look in Acts chapter 8, in verse 22, Peter says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He had already been washed. He had already been cleansed. He had already become a Christian. But he was trying to go back to his old way of life. And man, is that a struggle that all Christians go through today. Like, kind of on a side note here, that is a huge problem for Christians today, still going back to their old way of life. But anyway, Peter doesn't say you have to be baptized again. We don't have to be baptized every time that we sin. Peter says, says repent, churn from this way, pray to God for forgiveness. Once we have been baptized in the blood of Christ, then we have access to that continual cleansing, but not before. Because like we mentioned before, words without action means nothing. I can sit here and say all that I want, that I'm an NFL player or that I'm a ballerina or that I'm an astronaut and I'm the one going to the moon doesn't mean anything unless I put action behind it. Yeah. And so saying that I love Jesus, saying that I follow Jesus, it means nothing unless I actually obey him mm -hmm. and do what he said to do in Matthew chapter 28 and be baptized. Yeah. Do what his, his beloved apostle Peter said to do through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and be baptized. And what Paul had to say about being baptized and what Ananias had to say about being baptized and what John had to say about being baptized supposed to be baptized that's the point right well, yeah and so i think i think so far we've established you know the purpose of the sinner's prayer why it originally existed why um it was popular um why people believe that it's important and which um and once again we're not we're not condemning those who believe uh in this in this idea or this philosophy um rather we are stating our viewpoint regarding what the scriptures say about this topic but we we sort of uh it, maybe explained in a way um, some different passages that people often use to um, defend uh, the legitimacy for the sinner's prayer. And we sort of went back and examined the context of those passages. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to our thoughts and you're maybe the big question on your mind now is, well, if prayer is not the per or if the purpose of prayer um, is not to save us, then what is the purpose of prayer? Um, why does prayer even exist if 
um, we can't say something in order to help uh, get us into heaven or in order to help save us. And so I think that's a legitimate question. And I think it causes for us to consider some um, very, um, you know, valuable uh, things. And I think one of the first things um, to remember regarding prayers that um, we have in our script that we are commanded to do it, but I think we have an opportunity to use it. Um, it's not, I mean, of course, uh, our, our, our relationship with God should not be something that uh, we have this idea or perception about in which we're commanded to do. Uh, rather, our relationship with God should be this um, relationship to where we're so in love with him that we want to be in contact with him, that we want to pray with him, that we want to communicate with him. That's yeah, it. and just just to kind of help people understand why the this idea of the commandment of prayer is listed, well, it's because it is. Uh, we have verses like First Thessalonians chapter five and verse seventeen that says, "Pray without ceasing." Yeah. Uh, we have the passage in Colossians chapter four and verse two, where Paul says, "Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving." All right, so we have these obligation. We have an obligation to pray. Yeah. Right? We are supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. But like Walker said, it should be a get to, yeah. not a have to. Right. Kind of like what we've been talking about with with worship and something that we talked about earlier in the season. We should think that we get to worship, not that we have to worship. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have to worship. Yes, we have to pray. But that attitude and that mindset is not going to be very beneficial to us. And it's not going to be very pleasing to it's God. Actually, I, I, I view it as more of a discouraging view on our Christian walk, because if we view it as something that we were forced to do, nobody likes to be forced to do anything. I'm sure you or Simon don't like to be forced to do schoolwork or don't like to be forced to uh, do whatever the case may be. And so um, we don't like to be forced to do stuff. So if we look at it from a forceful standpoint, we're going to be very quick to reject it and very quick to push back against it. But if we view it as as a blessing that comes because of what Christ has done for us and because of the opportunities that he's provided for us through the death of his son, we then have this greater uh, appreciation and this greater perspective for um, the power and the opportunity that we have to pray to him. And, and you know, just, just kind of, I love when the Bible calls God our heavenly father. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, is to think about what the relationship between the Heavenly Father and His beloved children are. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this on the show before, uh, maybe in an episode that hasn't been released yet, I'm not sure, but uh, we, we we looked at the passage, I believe in Romans chapter 8, where it talks about how God adopted us. Mm. And we, we, we thought about the fact that God, it's like God going to the orphanage and saying, Isaiah, I want you to come home with me mm. because I love you. Simon Walker, I want you to come home with me because I love you and I want to take care of you and I want to provide for you and I want to be there for you. That's the relationship that we're supposed to have with God is our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. It's, it's much the same, right? Our, our, uh, he's the one who cares for us and takes care of us and, and leads us and protects us and guides us. If we want to have that deep, intimate personal relationship that we should have with God, like a father to a son, like, like a shepherd to his sheep, then we need to spend time talking to him. Any, in any relationship, it needs communication, whether that's between me and my parents, me and my siblings, me and my friends, me and if there's a girl who ever likes me, you know, whatever, <laughs> requires communication. I have to know what that person's thinking and they have to know what I'm thinking. I can't read people's minds. That'd I've got a, a lot of talents, but that's not one of them. <laughs> be a great talent to have. Yeah, it would be a yeah. fantastic talent. You could make a lot of money with it. Right. But it's not something that I can do. It's not something that anyone can do. 
we have to know what people are thinking. We have to communicate with them. And so if we want to be in a good relationship with God, our heavenly father, our good shepherd, I believe there's a passage in Hebrews that even calls him our great shepherd. We have to communicate with him. And that's how we communicate to God is through prayer. And just like a father, son, or a, 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 um, a son daughter relationship with their parents would uh, be uh, oftentimes kids like to ask for stuff. People like to ask for things. And the same thing goes with our heavenly father. We, we, we have the opportunity and the ability to ask him for things. And uh, in the same respect, we have the opportunity and the ability to uh, give thanks to him for the things that he's already given us. But James five and verse 16, um, and I say, he's going to read that for us because he has it pulled up and he's so diligent with that. Uh, I knew that you were going to ask me to do that. So yes. I pulled it up in advance. <laughs> uh, James says, therefore, I will ask you to do that. <laughs> what? I said, I'll ask you to do that. I appreciate that's it. Our point. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so James here, he's talking about this idea of confessing your sins to one another, not for salvation purposes, but for edification and for building up. I know that that's been a, a huge blessing to me is to have a, a group of guys here at school that I can go to and say, hey, I, hey, y'all, I am really struggling with this sin right now. I need help. And nine times out of 10, when I say something like that, someone will come up to me afterwards or someone will text me afterwards and be like, let me help you. I've been there. I love you. Let me help you. And so James says the prayer of a righteous person Right? We're supposed to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? Because we can help each other, but we get even more help from God. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power. It's not in the person who prays who has power. It's who they're praying to. Mm -hmm. if, if I had great power, I wouldn't need to pray to God because I would be able to do things on my own. Mm -hmm. But I can't. Yeah. I need God. And he, so the, he's our mediator. Yeah, he's our yeah, yeah, like we looked at earlier, Jesus Christ is our advocate, he's our mediator before the Father. Uh, Romans chapter 8 talks about how the Holy Spirit interprets our groanings that are too deep for words, right? There's this, you know, the Trinity all works together to hear our prayers. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. And uh, I encourage you to check out our episode about the Trinity with Dr. DeBoer. But anyways, <laughs> the point is, prayer is amazing. Mm -hmm. Prayer has a lot of uses. We communicate with God with it. We build a relationship with God with it. It helps us to be more like Jesus. It, you know, for us as Christians, it helps us to to forgive, uh, be, be forgiven of our sins. Uh, prayer is amazing, but it does not save us. The sinner's prayer cannot save us. It's not found in Scripture. The Scriptures that commonly are used for it, in my beliefs, in my understanding, are taken out of context and and are not teaching the sinner's prayer at all. Uh, but like Walker said earlier, if you guys have any questions for us, if you guys have any have any things that you want talked about here on the show or or something that we said on the show that you didn't quite understand or that you disagree with, we would love to hear from you and have a, a calm, rational, loving discussion with one another. We're not trying to sit here and say that we know everything because we know that we know we don't know everything. Right? That's maybe the only thing That's that I got to bring guests on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, if I might add to that, you know, Jesus would always when he presented things to the people and like, you know goals he had for them to, to follow him he would say this is how it is yeah. and he wouldn't sugarcoat it he says right. but i love you yeah and, and you know despite the fact that if you don't do it there will be some bad things that happen here's so much to look forward to and just to to look at it plainly uh, we don't want to you know, 
hurt anybody's feelings. That's certainly not what it is. But just as Jesus did, because we love other people, that's why we do this. Yeah. Uh, at least I, I, you know, <laughs> because we love. What are you trying to say, Simon? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 <laughs> just because I threatened to kick you to the moon earlier doesn't uh, yeah. mean I don't love you. Walker and I over here on the moon. <laughs> no, but because some people may appreciate if I'm on the moon, <laughs> right. like Isaiah. <laughs> seriously we do this because because god god ultimately loves each of us and wants us to hear the truth as it is um but it's our job to listen and to yeah. obey um just as the passages we've seen and, and ultimately at the end of the day you know whether or not a person believes that the sinner's prayer is right or wrong is based upon what they take away from the scriptures what they understand from the scriptures what they study from the scriptures um and we're not here to tell you uh what to believe or um, how to go about believing it. Rather, we're just telling you, uh, you know, our, our standpoint on the issue. And we hope that you look at it with an open heart and consider it with an open mind as our viewpoint is uh, heavily rooted in scripture and not necessarily based upon our opinions. Um, and so uh, these are things that um, we've studied and that we've looked at and something that we just want to bring to your attention and uh, help you meditate on. But as always, if you have questions, reach out to us. We're here to help. Um, we appreciate you listening to this episode uh, as we uh, begin to wrap up season five. Um, it's been a very beneficial season. And as we progress into season six um, regarding women's roles, um, we're, we're going to have a lot more um, great discussions and uh, a lot five more. fantastic guests. Yes, um, we have a great guest upcoming in season six and beyond. And so um, it will truly hopefully uh, it's been beneficial to us uh, to record these episodes, and I hope it will be beneficial to you as well. If there's nothing further, I say let's end it with a word of prayer. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us. Thank you, God, for the chance that we have to, to be here today, to think about your word, and to really just think about the sacrifice that your son made on the cross for us. Dying and being buried in the tomb and being raised to walk in newness of life so that we could follow in his footsteps, God, and die to our sins, be buried in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life, and not go back to the old sinful ways, but, but to turn and follow you. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, and most of all, for your Son, who has gone ahead of us to prepare his mansions to be with you in heaven for all eternity. It's in your name we pray. Amen.